Guys, good Tuesday afternoon. I'm Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. It's good to be with you. We're live in downtown Charlottesville in the Macklin Building, our building. Our audience is every social media platform on a show today presented by Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine. Dr. Wagner has your back. His clinic, Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine, changing people's lives. Today's show, dynamic and um, multifaceted. We'll talk housing. Interesting news on NBC 29, Judah put this on my radar, Judah Wickhauer, the director of this fine and fair talk show. The Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority announced on Monday night that they voted to make a big purchase. They have approval, CRHA, um, to buy 74 houses in Charlottesville city limits, 74 houses. It's a $10 million purchase. NBC29 reports about this and has some decent reporting, but many questions left unanswered. Here are some of the questions that I'm going to ask that I will try to answer later in the show. 74 homes, a $10 million purchase. Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority needs five of that $10 million from the Charlottesville Capital Improvement Program the CIP. That $5 million needs city council approval. So city council at its next meeting this coming month in April will likely vote to approve $5 million allocated from the CIP to the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority. The remaining $5 million is being allocated to CRHA from a private donor at a 0% interest loan. NBC 29 literally highlights that five of that $10 million coming from a private entity, unnamed, anonymous entity, at a 0% interest rate. That really asks, put my antennas up, my radar up. How many private entities offer $5 million to local government entities at a 0% interest. That gave me pause. I, I, I'm wondering what's going on there. I didn't see an answer on that question from NBC29. I'll try to get to a solution for you, the viewer and listener. I have another question. Here's another question. The Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority is buying the 74 affordable units, 74 detached properties around the city. This is quite a portfolio of properties. The property portfolio has a brand. It has a moniker. That brand, that moniker, is Dogwood Properties. What I have not seen by legacy media and traditional media is some insight into what Dogwood Properties is all about. You would think that when a government entity, the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority, approves on Monday night that they're going to try to buy 74 homes in city limits and get $10 million, five from taxpayers in a capital improvement program, a CIP, another $5 million from a private donor. Who's that private donor? At a 0% interest rate. You would think legacy media would ask questions about dogwood properties and the 74 properties, the 74 houses. Well, guess what? I did a little digging. Guess who owns Dogwood Properties? Keith Woodard. Woodard Properties. So, 
This got me thinking again. So you've got a government entity, the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority, who on Monday night, with a lot, with not many people watching, not many people at all, on Monday evening, the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority voted to buy 74 homes from Dogwood Properties, a subsidiary of Keith Woodard. $10 million used to buy this portfolio of properties, which were assessed at $9.6 million, 9600000 These 74 homes are being funded in portion, in part, by a private donor loan, 0% interest rate. Does this not got you wondering what's going on? We know Keith Woodard and Woodard Properties are looking for a little zoning flexibility on Cherry Avenue, where they purchased the Kim's Market IGA parcel. And that flexibility is, is a zoning flexibility, a little autonomy with the zoning, because they'd like to be creative with what they build on this quarter, this entryway to a historically black neighborhood. Is Keith Woodard doing a little, hey, you buy my 74 houses right here, I'll give you a price tag of $10 million. It's, a, it's assessed at $9.6 million. So $10 million is right aligned, you know, right at market value, according to assessments. Is Keith saying to city Charlottesville, you want affordable housing? I got 74 homes. You buy these for me essentially at market value. I hook you, the city, up. And in return, I get something on the back end. That got me thinking. Second thing got me thinking was, where's this extra $5 million coming what private donor, what money bank, what cash capital, what little honey hole, what little honey hole is Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority tapping to get a 0% interest, $5 million loan? We should be asking these questions. I will try to answer them today on the I Love Seville show. I'm asking these questions because I follow what happens in the news like you, the viewer and listener. Unfortunately, what we're seeing locally is the erosion of local news. Hell, that might not even be the right word. The, is decimation a word, Judah? Decimation? Can I say the decimation of local news? Nah, it doesn't really fit. You don't think decimation fits? I mean, technically decim decimation means... Destroy. Destroying a tenth. Excuse me? Technically means destroying a tenth. Destroying one tenth. Yeah, I mean it's often used interchangeably it's used to with uh, destroy in totality. But technically, it doesn't mean that. Okay, are we on a two shot? Yeah. Fantastic. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I like the racing stripe, zipper sweater, and Ann Wickhauer original. I'm willing to pay for a new one. I literally will buy an Ann Wickhauer original. <laughs> I like I have it too. Forty dollars. I'd be willing to pay Please forty bucks tell for one as well. Ann Wickhauer, I will pay forty dollars for that identical sweater. Oh man, I I think that might uh, that might open the floodgates. Here's a before we get back to the first story. And Harry Lynn, welcome to the program. His 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 family uh, owns Wright's Junkyard, and I've said many times, Harry Lynn and his family have one of the most coveted, undeveloped pieces of property in city limits. Carol Thorpe, hello. James Watson, hello. Bill McChesney, hello. Nora Gaffney, hello. 
Put the trivia question on screen. What's the oldest restaurant in city limits? Put the answer in the comment section. If you put that lower third on screen on our two shot, if you get the answer to the oldest restaurant in city limits and you put your answer in the comment section, we will mail you an I Love Seville sticker pro bono on us. Trivia is going to be a part of this show. Here's another thing that I need to bring and highlight to you, okay? Alice Berry, a reporter for the Daily Progress, yesterday on Twitter announced her resignation from the paper of record, the daily newspaper here in Charlottesville. It has been a revolving door at the Daily Progress. I previously worked there. My first job out of UVA was as a part-time stringer or correspondent at the newspaper. I parlayed that part-time job into a full-time position, and I finished my career at the Daily Progress as one of the youngest editors in the history of the newspaper. Okay? This was 2000. I started in 2002, and I finished in, in, in 2007, 2008. Okay, I have intimate first-hand knowledge of this institution. And unfortunately, right now, this newspaper is owned by Lee Enterprises. And Lee Enterprises, much like a lot of global and national conglomerates and corporations, they care about maximizing profits. And unfortunately, maximizing profits and the news business don't always go hand-in-hand. So when I ask questions about the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority, like who's given that $5 million interest-free loan, I have some answers for you. The reason you're not getting those same questions from local media is the institutional memory is not there. When I ask questions like, is Keith Woodard selling his Dogwood Properties portfolio to Charlottesville City in a you-scratch-my-back-I-scratch-your-back type of deal that hooks Keith Woodard up with this Cherry Avenue, Kim Market, IGA parcel development? It's a fair question, Mr. Woodard. Okay? Alice Berry quits from the Daily Progress. She's going to go work for the University of Virginia Machine. The University of Virginia Machine has a media department, and that media department, that content creation department, has been employed or staffed by a lot of former Daily Progress writers. Whitelaw Reed works for that media machine at UVA. Brian McKenzie works for that media machine at UVA. Now Alice Berry works for the media machine at UVA. In fact, my boss at the Daily Progress, McGregor McCants, the former managing editor of the Daily Progress, is one of the head honchos of the media machine that is UVA. So when one of the former head honchos, the former managing editor of the newspaper, is now one of the head honchos of UVA's content creation division, you know McGregor McCants is going to target Daily Progress staff writers as a potential vertical climb, a potential professional stepping stone. So Alice Berry resigning, and her last day is what, April 2nd? This is, this is a cause for concern, and here's why this is cause for concern. And I'm going to get to your comments, Dylan, Dylan's rule, Albert Graves, I'll get to your comments. Here's why this is cause for concern. Collective bargaining with Albemarle County teachers is very much still on the front burner. And Alice Berry was the educational reporter for the newspaper. So this collective bargaining scenario, teachers want a union, they want the power of collective bargaining when negotiating with the school board and with Dr. Haas, this story is front and center. Four school board seats up for 
election this year, front and center. And now the newspaper's educational beat writer is quitting. And I give Alice Berry props. You got to do what's best for you, especially at this point of your career. I got no ill will. I'm, I'm, I am, I wish you nothing but love in your professional pursuits. I lament that us as a community are now out an educational beat reporter. But I do not hold that against you, Ms. Berry. I think you are damn good at your job. I lament that news, the business that I love so dearly, a business that has become literally like a drug for me, I'm a news junkie, has become so splintered and such a shadow of its former self. When I first started as a stringer or correspondent for the Daily Progress circa 2022, no, 20, 2002, 21 years ago, we had a UVA reporter 21 years ago, we had a schools reporter, we had a cops reporter, we had a courts reporter, we had a political commentary writer, Bob Gibson, literally wrote political commentary opinion columns in the newspaper. Brian McKenzie was a columnist who was penning perspective three times a week. You had multiple city editors. You had multiple, you had multiple editors in the sports department. Mary Alice Blackwell was the lifestyles editor. Jane Dunlop Norris was doing magical things covering the music and the arts and the culinary beat. Anita Shelburne was penning fantastic op-eds. Now look at the paper. Look at the paper. Where do you get your news? Who is spending $50 a month for a digital subscription to this newspaper? Are you? Are you? Of course not. Two shot Judah Wickhauer. This very much (coughs) applies to you. What is the future of news? Where do you get your news from? How do you handle the loss of another reporter resigning to go to UVA? I mean, I, I think it's been a, a while since most of us got our news from, uh, from a newspaper. Um, Daily Progress had a nice little six or seven month run of late. Hall Spencer, Cindy Schuler, Alice Berry, Reynolds, they were producing some quality content. The reality yeah. is, is if you pay these folks peanuts and these folks are making like $15 an hour, they're not going to stay. Yeah. In a community that prides itself on innovation, a community that prides itself on being the home of the University of Virginia, a community that prides itself on being knowledgeable, well-read, intelligent, sophisticated, world-class and cosmopolitan, cannot sustain or does not have an entity that can sustain a paper of record in any kind of quality fashion. I, th- I think we're running into that problem in a lot of... Uh, in 100%. S- in a lot of sectors. 100%. Uh, so I ask you this question. What's the future? What is the future for this community getting their news? I, I honestly don't know. I mean, there's going to have to be uh, a change somewhere in, uh, in the way our country runs at some point. Otherwise, I'd, you know, I think we're going to see this 
in a lot of places. There's just, I mean, it's the same everywhere. How do you continue to pay people? I saw a, a push a handful of years ago. The, the push was $15 an hour. I want $15 an hour at the University of Virginia. $15 an hour. A living wage, $15 an hour. Remember the push? Uh, Counselor Michael Payne. Remember it. It's still, it's still alive today. We're Counselor still- Michael Payne in 2019 ran on a platform that said, a living wage, $15 an hour. That was very much part of Michael Payne's campaign in 2019. Now with inflation, the cost of goods, and the fact that all the world's way more expensive post-COVID, that $15 living wage campaign is now more realistically a $20 an hour living wage campaign. And now groups are organizing, one group in particular, to lobby and to politic the University of Virginia for a $20 an hour living wage. Okay? This is the collateral damage of COVID. I'm here to tell you. It's not the collateral damage of COVID. we We can go down that road. I'm here to tell everyone that's watching and listening to this show. The small business in this community, a large chunk of them, if the living wage becomes $20 an hour, is unable to pay that. Yeah. A large chunk of small businesses in this town, if the University of Virginia, if this push to lobby the number one public university in the Commonwealth, a push to lobby this university to go from 15 to $20 an hour living wage, if that gains traction and becomes the norm, you will see a boatload of small business just close their doors because there's not a chance in HE double hockey sticks their model can sustain team members making 20 bucks an hour on the reg consistently as a starting point salary. Okay? And folks that make the comment and say this, oh, well, you should be running your business differently. The business ain't being done correctly. If it can't support dozens of people at 20 bucks an hour as a starting wage, not in touch with reality with that statement. I would argue that both sides of that argument are out of touch with reality. Walk me through what you're thinking. The problem isn't just a COVID problem. It's persisted for years, and it's gotten worse and worse. And I think we all know that the, uh, the root of the problem is inflation. I mean, inflationary forces have have made everything unaffordable from eggs to housing to uh, to running a business and paying people to work for you and the problem is not that uh, is the problem is not like one side would like to believe that that small businesses are run by cheapskates in some cases that may be true but I don't think that's uh, a fair blanket statement and at the same time uh, I think it is fair for people to ask for a living wage. It, when uh, when CEOs are making, like, I'm talking about Charlottesville locally owned business. I'm not talking about CEOs and thirty million dollar paydays. The average okay, business owner in Charlottesville. But this is still a problem everywhere, and it's going to continue to be a problem in Charlottesville. And saying we don't want to talk about CEOs is not going to change the fact that. Inflation is making it unaffordable for small businesses to hire people. I, would, I, will, I will bet majority of people, I will bet anyone watching this program 
that if you take 100 small business owners in Charlottesville, Virginia, or around Charlottesville, Virginia, those 100 business owners are working on a lower hourly wage than their team members. That doesn't Because they're working longer hours than their team members. So it does matter. So it does matter. So you're saying that the, the people that they hire should, wor- should work for less? No. Because the owners are working for I, less? I, I'm saying the folks that they hire are a whisker's hair from not having a job. You yeah. want to know what's going to really cause people to lament being underemployed or underpaid? When their job goes away. Because I'm, I'm, I'm literally talking but with the business owners as the, let me finish. I'm literally talking with the business owners as, as VMV brands. We are confessional for business owners. We're an advertising agency. What an advertising agency basically is, is confessional for business owners. They come to me and tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly of what they're doing. And the common denominator with everyone I talk to, and I bet you there's no one that talks with more business owners in this town than me, okay? Okay. The common denominator is everyone saying they can't afford the labor. Right. They'll just shut it down. That's never going to change, though. It is going to change. No. You know how it changes? Robots. Automation. Do what Moe's has done on Ivy Road. Take away completely the front of the house staff. Eliminate labor. That's how it changes. Eliminate the human portion on the profit and loss. Well, I'm I'm sorry to I'm sorry to see that both sides are so myopic. Deep throat says this: (laughs) Judah, labor-intensive businesses may not make sense here. Some businesses don't have economic logic when relative costs of factors of production change. You could be wealthy, but you don't have chamber maids anymore. Okay, I'm not sure what he's getting at. This is basically what he's getting at. It's gotten the cost of living so expensive here that labor-intensive businesses, having a lot of employees on staff, does not make sense in an economic ecosystem that is this expensive. And if UVA pushes for this $20 an hour living wage, which this is what's coming down the pipeline right now, this is literally coming down the pipe, I would not be surprised if you hear this in Michael Payne's political platform as he seeks re-election on the council, the $20 living wage. In 2019, it was 15. Now in 2023, four years later, it's 25% more. The problem is we keep addressing the uh, we keep addressing the it's it's like uh, it's like when you go to the the hospital and they treat the the symptoms and not the cause and as we keep doing that it's going to keep getting worse and you can what do you want to see what do you want to see Jerome Powell do you talk about inflation is the problem Powell has. Our country runs Palish, on inflation. Almost never collapsed get- the banking system. Pal has spooked banking. You'll give me that. Pal has spooked banking. There's banking, been a run of deposits. Banking has been screwed for a long time. Okay. It's just we're uncovering a lot of the, the problems. Any inherent- economist in the world right now would agree with the statement I just made that Pal has spooked the banking system. Okay. People, anyone would agree with that. You listen to CNBC, all they're talking about is Powell spooking the banking system. P- 
pals tightening up, pals raising of the rates, the rate increases, as 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 has ravaged the housing economy. He's effed the housing economy. He's spooked the banking system. He's caused hundreds of thousands of layoffs in technology. Hundreds of thousands of layoffs in the technology business. Snap, Microsoft, Meta, Amazon, you name it, laying people off. Disney is announcing a round of cuts now. That was news this morning. What more do we want to see from Powell to temper this inflation? What more is this guy going to do? What, what else can this guy do? I don't know if Powell can do anything more. The Fed is as much a part of the problem as, uh, as anything else involved here. Well, 20, I want everyone to follow that topic, the $20 an hour wage. That $20 an hour wage. I mean, what's your solution? Is, if, I think my solution, nobody... I've said it on the show many times, the small businesses like you and I, the small businesses like Moe's, the small businesses like Vita Nova, they, the all, small... they all go under? No, no. The savvy number one shot callers are going to become very less labor intensive, very much more automated. They're going to hire a lot less people. That'll work in some cases? Less people are going to have jobs. And these small businesses will try to automate as much as possible. That's what's going to happen. So that doesn't sound like any kind of uh, solution. It's a solution if you want the small business to see tomorrow. But if there's nobody to use the small businesses, what does it matter? If the small business is able to survive without being labor-intensive, then it's maximized potential profits. Okay. And it's able to turn its lights on the next day. And, and the point you're making is the right one. The unfortunate thing of all this is the people that are going to lose is the ones that were filling that 15-hour to $25 an hour job. Because that 15 to 25 an hour job in central Virginia is going to go away at a much greater clip than in what happened in 2019. 2019, you'll have a... Four years ago, mark this down. Four years ago, you will have a hell of a lot more 15 to $25 an hour jobs. You had a hell of a lot more 15 to 25 an hour jobs than you do right now. And if this living wage thing gains traction, these types of jobs are the ones that are going to get clawed away. The, the business owner will figure out a way to do more with less, as an entre, entrepreneur has always done. And that sounds depressing as all get out, doesn't it? I mean, it's worse than depressing. I mean, I, I'm not even sure where to go from there. I, 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 the, where you go from here is what I've been saying all along. Central Virginia is synonymous with Greenwich, I was, Silicon Valley, I was just gonna say, and suburbs of Manhattan. I was just going to say you might as well nix that uh, $10 million deal uh, that the uh, CHRA is working on. Why? Because there aren't going to be any people that can afford low-income housing. The CRHA deal is associated, is tied to AMI. Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority job, 74 units that they're buying is, tar, is tied to area median income and how much money you make. You make less money and you get this house. You want to figure I mean, out a way to get some houses in Charlottesville? 74 head to Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority. You, make less money. You don't see the problems here? Uh, what? 
of course I see the problem here. I've been the one that's been saying this for three years, louder than anyone ever has on a platform that's farther reaching than anyone else. I've been saying for three years we're heading to Silicon Valley East, that we're Greenwich, Connecticut. I've been saying for three years this was happening. Deep Throat calls it Austin, Texas. Three years. The likelihood of having an abundance of coffee shops or food and beverage F&B companies, small businesses in those spaces of work, that likelihood of having an abundance of them is becoming fewer and far between. The cost of living is going to impact all this. Yeah. $20 an hour. I want everyone to have a living wage, but understand the collateral damage of what that means. What's the oldest restaurant in the city of Charlottesville? Put your comments in the comment section. Albert Graves says C&O restaurant. We got um, Bill McChesney saying Jack and Jill's restaurant. Ann Clark Ramey says the Aberdeen Barn is the oldest restaurant in Charlottesville city limits. It was not owner financing for the five million, Andre Xavier, but I can give you some insight into who it was in a matter of moments. What is the oldest restaurant in Seville City Limits? Put your comments in the comment section. I will relay it live on air. This from Commander AG on Twitter. Eventually, the short labor force will trickle down and affect every job market and just not the service industry. Robots yeah. can replace the front of the house in the service industry, but yeah. can they build houses, mow grass, and other manual labor? There's, I saw, my wife showed me... That's the question. My wife showed me the Rumba, you know, Rumba, the vacuum, Roomba, 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 what is it? Roomba. There's one for cutting grass now. Okay. You don't even need a guy to cut your grass right now. I mean, that's great for it a It costs flat. a handful of $100. You put it in your yard, it cuts your grass without a person doing it. Good, good tweet from... Um, uh, one of our favorite listeners. I just responded to it. Um, this is from Dylan's Rule. You and Judah need to figure out what is going on with the CRHA deal. So CRHA needs $5 million from the council, and the school board needs $5.5 million. Hmm. Where is the council getting this money? How do they have $5 million unaccounted for in their capital fund? Two, is the daily progress asleep at the wheel here? How is 10.5 million of city funds being committed this way? Where is the money coming from? He's talking about 5.5 million, I believe, for, for K-Tech, which we covered yesterday. This Charlottesville buying K-Tech is turned into a fiasco for the city. 80% of the students that go to K-Tech are from Almoral County. 80%. And the city just purchased this. The city bought a technical school where 80% of the students that go to the technical school live in Almaro County. I want to repeat that statistic again. This is from a Charlottesville Tomorrow article that you could find on their homepage. Charlottesville City bought a technical school that it joint ventured previously with Almaro County Schools. It kicked, it punted, it pushed Almaro County Public Schools out of KTech. Spent $5.5 million on the school, despite only 20% of the student body living in city limits. Someone explain that deal to me. Well, 
As far as I understand it, didn't uh, didn't Albemarle County try to uh, try to buy Charlottesville out first, thereby breaking the uh, the what the contract that they had between them? As soon as someone tried to buy the other one out, it then forced one of the tar- the parties to buy the school. Yeah. Once one of the parties cho- chose to buy the other one out, it then pushed the parties into owning it outright. You would think the outright owner, however, would be the school system that has the 80% student body. Yeah. I mean, and not the 20% student body. That's the most logical, but, uh, but Charlottesville would still make money out of the school. I mean, Albemarle County would, would be paying for the Albemarle County stu- students. Oh, that's not true. What do you mean it's not true? That's not what the article read. Where are you pulling that from? Cite your source on that. Okay, I'll look. Uh, I know that... Uh... No. Yes? Cite your source. That article? Uh, I don't know if it was that article. It was an article on the, uh, on the deal and the fact that uh, previously uh, Albemarle County had paid for their students and Charlottesville had paid for the, their own students. And as the deal moves forward... That's how it previously was. And as the deal moves forward... Albemarle County would have to pay Charlottesville for the students going, going there. Psych, I, I, want to, I want to hear that. I, if, if that's correct, I'm willing to listen to learn. I would love to hear that paragraph read verbatim to me. Please, sir. You're basically saying Charlottesville City is going to run a school, and the Albemarle County schools that are go, going to this school, the county is going to pay for them to go there. Yeah. I, I, I hope that's the case. I would love to be incorrect on what I'm saying. I want you to be right. I would love to hear that paragraph verbatim, and then I'll give you props on that 100%. Bill McChesney says the Aberdeen Barn is the oldest restaurant in the city limits. That is not right. Aberdeen Barn and Jack and Jill's and CNO are not the oldest restaurant in city limits. Put the comment in the comment section. I'll relay it live on air. I would love to hear that, see that section, J-Dubs, and I would love to be incorrect. I'll get back to you shortly. I'll, I'm going to look for it. We can, we can also save it for tomorrow if we need to. We can continue, because reading and finding something on the fly is extremely difficult. Trust me, I do this all the time. I do not consider Timberlake um, a restaurant, John Blair, although they do have a fantastic lunch counter in the back. Um, Timberlake is not the, uh, the oldest in city limits. Not the oldest in city limits. I will get to John Blake's second comment here in a matter of moments. Stream running well, Judah? I'm hearing a little bit of uh, jag in the sound, but it sounds mostly good. Viewers and listeners, stream running well here? You having any feedback issues? Let me know. Put it in the feed. I would love to hear from you guys. Uh, Dylan's Rule says, you and Judah are some of the last truth tellers in Charlottesville. Dylan's rule on Twitter. I'm going to respond. I'll say, thank you. Thank you kindly. Do you want to say anything to him in the tweet? I'm uh, responding to him now. I'm, I'm, you want no. to give him a, he said you were one of the, be, one of the last truth tellers in Charlottesville. Do you want to mention, some, mention something to him? I'm sending him a tweet now thanking him. Thank you. Judah says thank you too. Period. I just responded to him. All right, let's get back to the lead of the story. Scott says the stream's not running great on YouTube. Number one, your number one goal is the stream, not looking up this piece of content. 
Okay. I it's mean, just there's... making sure the stream is on. That's the number one goal of the director, number one priority of the director, not proving the host wrong. I'm not trying to prove you wrong, but uh, there's not really a whole lot I can do if uh, we're experiencing... MJ says the white spot, that's a good guess, but, not, um, but no cigar, MJ. Um, thank you kindly for watching Queen of Marketing, MJ Arquette. All right, I want to get back to the lead of the show. And then we're going to do the uh, tweet of the day here. Great, great guess, but no cigar. All right, here's the lead of the show. If you want to go on a one-shot with me as you, if, as you confirm the uh, stream and find that tidbit, if you could. Thank you, Carol and Bill and Philip, for the feedback. We, number one goal is confirming the stream, please. All right, so here's the lead. And then I'll see if I can get to some answers for you. 13 hours ago, NBC29's Dryden Quigley published a good story on the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority on Monday night of this week, voting, basically getting approval from CRHA to buy 74 affordable housing units from Dogwood Properties. This portfolio of units, many if not all single-family detached, are assessed at $9.6 million. CRHA has a verbal deal in place at $10 million, so $400,000 above assessment. You would say that verbal deal is at market value, at least at assessed value. <coughs> Questions that need answering that traditional media has yet to answer are the following. Give us some insight about Dogwood Properties, please. This organization's getting $10 million, or about to get $10 million, including $5 million from taxpayers and another five from a private donor at a 0% interest loan. I did a little digging. I googled Dogwood Properties Charlottesville. It's not extreme amounts of investigative journalism. Literally googled Dogwood Properties Charlottesville. When I googled Dogwood Properties Charlottesville, I see the first link atop the Google page. The first link atop the Google page, when you Google Dogwood Property Charlottesville, is a link to the Keith Woodard website. You read that link that's literally atop the page, and you see, hmm, in 2007, Keith Woodard and Woodard Properties purchased Dogwood Properties, a longtime endeavor of Eugene Williams. These properties are being revitalized so that Mr. Williams' vision can continue to serve Charlottesville residents and honor his legacy, straight from the Woodard Properties website. Furthermore, straight from the Woodard Properties website, in addition to the Dogwood Properties, Woodard Properties also owns and manages other affordable units and proudly works with housing authorities and nonprofit organizations to house low-income families. Huh. So, one of the most powerful and well-funded developers in the Charlottesville area owns a subsidiary brand. That subsidiary brand is called Dogwood Properties. That subsidiary brand has got a verbal deal in place with a local government institution, organization, housing authority, nonprofit, whatever the hell you want to call it. That verbal deal's for 10 million bucks. Five's coming from taxpayers. The other five from a private donor at 0% interest, an anonymous donor. Is this Woodard Properties 
doing the I scratch your back, you scratch mine. So they get a little grease, a little juice, a little bump on Kim's Market IGA on Cherry Avenue where they've openly politicked and lobbied for zoning flexibility. Remember last week we told you Woodard Properties was saying we could just build this by right and by right we'll get 50 to 60 luxury condos or luxury apartments out there and some commercial units at market rent if you don't hook us up with some zoning flexibility. That's what Woodard Properties said last week. Here's another question. That interest-free loan. Who has the resources financial to do this? A lot of people. A lot of people have the, the resources financially local, local to do a $5 million interest-free loan in the sake of affordable housing. A lot of people locally have that, those deep pockets. Okay. The next question you should be asking, who has something to gain from a $5 million anonymous interest-free loan? Less people on that short list. A lot of people can do a $5 million interest-free loan to the city of Charlottesville. The next question is, who has something to gain from doing that? And when you start narrowing it down, that list becomes shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. My bet is that interest-free loan is coming from another developer that needs a little grease or a little equity. And my bet is that interest-free loan is in some ways tied to Riverbend development. We should ask Charlottesville City to identify who is offering the $5 million interest-free loan. And the follow-up question should be, what strings are attached to that $5 million interest-free loan? And then the follow-up question on that should be, is Woodard selling the Dogwood Properties portfolio for the grease and juice to get something to happen on Cherry Avenue and in Fifeville, where Woodard Properties has a controlling stake and interest in a historically black neighborhood? Those are questions media's got to ask. And as I tied Alice Berry's resignation, the reporter for the Daily Progress, and the fact that traditional media doesn't have the institutional memory it once did, here's a microcosm of what I am arguing or presenting to you. I can't fault the reporters for not knowing the players if they've only been on the job a couple of months, a year tops. But I lament what's happening because it's us, the community, that suffers. It's us, the community, that suffers. And I think the future of local news, you're looking at it. It's a handful of people that are well-connected, well-read, well-networked, are willing to show up to meetings. Socialist Dog Mom on Twitter does a good job. Sean Tubbs does a good job. Neil Williamson, although he's a lobbyist, his live tweets and his blog at the Free Enterprise Forum are fantastically informative. Jim Duncan and Crozet is doing this. Brent Wilson in Greene County is doing this. 
local news is now going to be in the hands of a handful of socially savvy, digitally savvy power players. And last week when I said, who are the most powerful people in this community? I talked about money and political power. I talked about Jim Ryan's influence because he's got this vast, vast army of employees and he's got a foundation and an endowment to boot. Well, maybe we should add to that short list of power players in this community. That short list should include perhaps the content creators and the ones that control the narrative and determine what the community is talking about. Because there's few people on that list. You're looking at one. Sean Tubbs is another. Molly Cogner is another. And when you can control the narrative, the spoken word, the conversation, and what folks are chattering about at the water cooler, that's power. Riverbend does own the old Kmart location in the city of Charlottesville. That's exactly right, Dylan's rule. Corin Capshaw's Riverbend development, very low-key, has been one of the most influential development players in this community. Fifth Street Station, Riverbend development. James Watson says, Judah, I don't believe Charlottesville eats the cost for students attending K-Tech from outside of the city. I don't think uh, Charlottesville is going to be eating the cost either. I, I think uh, throughout the course of the history of KTEC. You mentioned when Charlottesville owns it that Almaro County is going to be covering the cost of students that are going to KTEC. I don't have anything direct, but uh, here in the article it says Almaro County, which has more students at KTEC, pays, pays a proportionally pro proportionately larger amount to fund the school. Charlottesville City Schools contributes... X amount to KTEC's operating budget. 80-20%. Albemarle gave KTEC roughly $2 million for the same period. And then further down, it says, the offer the county presented to the city in December allowed city students to attend KTEC for free for three years. For seven years after that, city students who wanted to attend KTEC would have paid discounted tuition, according to county officials. So that leads me to believe that... Uh, I'd That's an assumption. Yes, it is an assumption. Nothing in that article indicated that Albemarle County students that attend KTEC and moving forward will have their tuition subsidized by ACPS. Who's currently paying tuitions? Right now in the joint venture agreement, the tuition by student is paid by where that student lives. Albemarle County is paying 80% of overhead associated with students at KTEC because 80% of KTEC population is ACPS. Currently, Charlottesville's agreed to pay roughly $5.5 million to own KTEC outright, despite 80% of students not living in city limits. Moving forward, the joint venture agreement has not been ironed out. Right. We do not have clear-cut details that Albemarle County will subsidize Albemarle County students at KTEC. We do not know okay. that yet. Do not know that yet. You taught me this. Word choice matters. It does. This is John Blair's comment. This is a good one. Ready for this one? To your point about cons consolidation of small businesses and the takeover of large businesses, 
This weekend's Wall Street Journal said that in 1990, the five largest banks in the country controlled 16% of the nation's deposits. In 2023, the five largest banks in the country controlled 45% of the nation's deposits. Anyone who says, well, just let the small, uh, small businesses go out of business is basically asking for our entire nation to become the banking sector. Amen. Well said. Yeah. What do you want to say to him? You agree or disagree? Yeah, I agree. I, I think too many people are just looking at one aspect of it. Some people are saying, oh, well, small businesses can't pay, uh, can't pay a living wage. And other people are saying, well, uh, you know, we're, we need a living wage. We can't, you can't just ask us to work for whatever you, whatever you can afford. We've got to be able to live. But nobody's looking at uh, the bigger picture, and it's not just about small businesses, and it's not just about workers. It's about the reason that we're in this mess we're in today. I and I and there's a hundred percent agree with what you just said. There's a deeper story than than just you know one side or the other side. Uh, I see a lot of people angry about businesses. I see a lot of businesses saying, "Oh, people are." People are selfish. Uh, they don't want to work hard. They just want to make a lot of money. And I, I feel like I feel like we're being. I feel like the uh, the employers and the employees are being pitted against each other, so they don't see the actual problem. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Hundred percent agree with everything you just said. I do not disagree with you. I think you're a hundred percent right. I, I, I think you're a hundred percent all over this. Nothing you're saying is wrong. But I, I'm, just a, I'm very black and white. And by black and white, the small business is either just going to close or eliminate the job. Right. This is what the owner's going to say. I'm just going to pick up the work myself. Yeah. I'll get my kid to work in the business, ask my wife to work in the business, whatever it may be. Or they'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll ask our other team members to work a little bit more and pay them a little bit more money and figure out that delta where they're saving on the salary of the eliminated position. Yeah, I mean, I... And jobs I, will be eliminated. Yeah. And as jobs are and eliminated, because this becomes Richville again, even more so. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I wouldn't expect a, a small business owner to, uh, to actively run a loss just to pay some some people money. At that point, it, you know, it becomes untenable, and you say, I'm going to close the business. Just, you would just close it down. Yeah. And, and you know what? And, I'm not, and, and, I, and you, know who's, you know some of these because you're privy to some of the conversation, and we cannot speak out of turn here. People count on us with information because we know, they, we know we're vaults. And anyone who watches this program knows nothing is spoken out of turn on this show. I'm a vault when it comes to information. If you say, keep my name out of it, we keep your name out of it. If you say, don't mention this on air, I don't mention it on air. So we're not going to mention any names. We're the confessional of small businesses in this community. Probably no one in this community is speaking to more small businesses than me. Okay? And they're all saying we're on the... Okay, not all. Word choice matters. You taught me that. A lot of them are saying we're on the cusp of closing. Yeah. A lot of them. Right. And, and from... And the, and the really pre, the high-pressure situation, here's the high-pressure situation. They often come to us looking for a, a jolt of, of incremental revenue and new customers. That's, that's pressure. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. 
Yeah. When someone that's uh, older than me, that's been grinding in their business for 20 to 25 years or longer, comes to me and says, Jerry, I need you to help me. Help me. Because I'm at the close of losing my legacy and my life's work. That's the kind of pr- stuff that comes across my desk. Mm-hmm. And you see it. Yeah. And, uh, but I also see the other side. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's the same thing. Why, why would you ask people to keep working for, you know, when you hear about people working two jobs or working, you know. I, I, I'll say it. I'll say it uh, I've said it. I caught a lot of SHIT for this. It's a 65-hour work week town. I caught a lot of SHIT for it. I'll say it again. It's a 65-hour work week town. I'm glad. Okay. That's what, there's where we're at. I'm glad you caught some SHIT okay. for it. I, well, you know what? It, that's what it is. It's, it's a 65-hour work week town. It's like the French government telling, uh, telling people, you, you, we're going to give you two more years of work. You can't... Uh, you can't... You can't... Uh, uh, what's the, what's the word? Um, uh, you can't retire for another two years. It's you can you can say it, but is in uh, in ten fifteen years are you going to be telling people that uh, that it's a seventy five hour work week? You gotta. You have to tell people that they have to work until they're until they're eighty before they can retire. Working. I, I hate to. Say, you want You want to hear something crappy? Another thing that you folks may not want to hear. The the retire at sixty five. You put the retire at sixty five in the same box of a forty hour work week. If you're living longer, and thanks to the benefits of medicine and technology and innovation. Men and women are living longer. So if you're Some living longer, how can you have the same retirement age of the shorter lifespan Americans from years ago? Although I believe that the, uh, average, uh, the average lifespan went down. Cite your source. In America. You're saying the average American in 2023 is living a shorter life than the average American from 20 years ago? I mean, it's. it's There's. Not, it's I, I not, bet it's, you. I it's bet not you. Surprising that the average. I bet you a twenty spot. That's not true. It's not surprising that the average lifespan went down, considering all the, all the stuff that happened through the course of the pandemic. You want to bet twenty dollars that? Not really. I'll bet you twenty bucks right now that the average American has a longer lifespan today in 2023 than the average American had in 2003. You want to take that bet? Let's yeah. take that bet. How about a prop bet to finish the show? <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Viewers, you just said that. I'm not trying to throw shade or give you heat. I'm very respectful. It's been a great conversation. It's been, a, it's been respectful and fl- fun and pleasant. Vanessa Parkhill says we're on fire. No one listening to this program would say, Judah, everyone listening to this program would say, Judah, don't take that bet. I'll take that $20 in your pocket if you want to, though. <laughs> 65-hour work week.
Uh, so this is, I mean, this is just real quick, uh, something I found. Uh, from 2020 to 2021, life expectancy at birth began to rebound in most com- comparable countries while it continued to decline in the U.S. The CDC estimates life expectancy at birth in the U.S. decreased to 76 years in 2021, down 2.7 years uh, from what it was in 2019, and down 0.9 years from 2020. Deep throat. Life expectancy dropped pre-COVID to now, but it is higher than 20 years ago. Yeah, it's definitely... That was expect- the bet. It was, my bet was 20 years ago versus now. Well, that's, that why was, I didn't, that's why I didn't take the bet. That was the bet. Okay. That was the bet. That's I, why I didn't I'm take the bet. I'm not comparing the bet to pre-COVID till now. It's 20 years ago versus today. Yeah. I know pre-COVID versus now it's less. 20 years versus today was the bet. You didn't take the bet. No, I didn't take the bet you because there's the no bet. way I would ever take that bet. Okay. You knew 20 years ago people were living shorter than they are now. Yeah, of Pre-COVID course. Pre-COVID is different. We know that. I mean, yeah. It's, I, there's no surprise that, uh, that life expectancy has gone up over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And, and it should be no surprise that the retirement age of 65 should also go up as well. If you're living longer, you can't retire at the same time. Why do you make that face? People are counting on you for honesty here. You honestly think if you live longer, you can still retire at the same time? It, it's, it's a rough, that's a, a tough question. And what do you mean it's a tough question? You're living longer. You some, need more money to live. You're talking about averages. You're saying the average people, the average person lives longer, and so everyone should work longer. But the way some people look at it is you're asking me to spend more of the good years of my life working for you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to work for me. You can work for somebody else. That's, yeah. But the point is... You, can, you, you have freedom to work anywhere you want. The point is that some people would like to have some time enjoying their lives. Totally get that. Devil's advocate. This is why we have financial classes. Some folks are willing to work 65 hours a week at 20 bucks an hour. And some folks are willing to work 40 hours a week at 20 bucks an hour. And some folks are willing to work until 70 at 65 hours a week for 20 bucks an hour. And some folks are willing to work until 65 for 40 hours a week at 20 bucks an hour. That's why we have an upper class, a middle class, and a lower class. Right. So, first I don't all, want to get any... First of all, that doesn't, that doesn't explain why France is trying to legislate when you're allowed to to retire and once again I think we're falling into the pit of us fighting rather than asking better questions about why we're why we're at this point Bill McChesney I had to wait until 67 to retire because social security changed the rules Grayson watching the program there's no doubt in my mind I'm going to be working into my 70s now Albert Graves. It's he needs, definitely, I don't think he's saying that because he wants to, though. Obviously. It's work. It's not fun. 
That's why it's called work. I don't understand this concept of going to work and having fun. That's, it's work. That says a lot about you. What does it say? You think you're supposed to go to work and have fun? I know people that enjoy their jobs, Jerry. I love my job. Yeah, because you're the owner. I made the business. Yeah. I literally tailored the job based around exactly what I wanted to do every day. You could do that if you wanted to. You could take your life savings, take the first place you've ever owned, rent out every room in the first place you ever owned, gamble and risk your life savings, not take a paycheck for three years, go massively in debt, risk everything multiple times, and hope it works out. Because that's what I did. Yeah. And as a result of taking a risk of that magnitude, I now have opportunities and financial freedoms that others do not have. Okay. I, anyone can do this. We were talking about enjoying your job, though. I, it took me six years to enjoy. The business is 15. I'm going to be, words, words matter. The business is in 15, it's 15 in May. Before you ever even came in this company, the company was four years old. Four years of not doing anything pleasant in my life. I've taken one vacation in 15 years. One. That's on you, though. Oh, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I wouldn't change a damn thing. Not a single thing I would change. Not a single thing I would change. And, and, and it makes for great talk show fodder. And I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But I, I would be hesitant to say to anyone listening to this program, if, if, if you're in the, 20, if the $15 an hour living wage is how we got on this topic, and we talked about how that living wage is, is people are making a push to have it 20 because of inflation. If you're clipping 20 an hour, 25 an hour in that vicinity, and that's a lot of people in this community, 20 to 25 an hour. 20 to 25 an hour, to put that in perspective, is 40 to $50,000, 40 to 50 and change. It's becoming a 65-hour work week. Albert Graves, we all have to work to make money to pay bills regardless if we like our jobs or not because if we don't pay our bills, we don't have a home, car, groceries, and things we need to live. Two things in life that are undefeated, the tax man and the bill collector. Vanessa Parkhill, the 65-hour work week equals someone has to cover the tab for those who have been replaced by robots and don't pivot to a new gig. Remember, the government who pays for stuff people say they get for free does not generate revenue added value by building or doing things like private business. That stuff comes from government. That stuff, that stuff from the government is funded by we the people who pay taxes, which includes corporate taxes passed on to consumers in the way of higher prices. That's another thing. That's another thing. And I don't, I, I don't expect, I did not expect you to know this, nor part of your job was to know this, okay? Part of your job was not to know this, so I'm not holding this against you in any capacity. He found out recently and I'm not speaking out of turn here. You've been working for the business for almost 12 years, right? Something like that. You found out recently, like in the last couple of weeks, maybe about a month, of how steep payroll taxes were. 
and you just recently found out in the last month, business owners or bookkeepers, Vanessa Parkhill, you're a bookkeeper. Business owners can relate to this. The payroll taxes we have on our business, on this business, is essentially synonymous with your paycheck every two weeks. So even though, let's say it's paycheck for you, paycheck for me, there's another paycheck in totality every two weeks that goes to payroll taxes. That's synonymous with what you earn. So this business is doing you and me and this other slush, this other slush of money that's created every two weeks to go to the state and federal government. And what? You've, am I right? You've, you learned about this over the last month, right? Uh, I'd say it was more than a month ago, but it's... Very recently. It's irrelevant. Very recently. Fairly, yeah. This is what team members don't realize with small businesses. This is what team members at small businesses everywhere don't realize. The magnitude of payroll taxes and the significance of them. All right, we got to conclude the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I thought Judah Wickhauer is absolutely on point. You did a good job today. Anything you want to add before we, we, have, to, we have to show the, the tweet of the day, the mm-hmm. best and worst thing we saw on Twitter. we got to answer the trivia question, right? Yeah. I want to recap the talking points of today. Anything you want to add before we get to those points? Because your voice is, is credible and needs to be heard. Anything you want to get out there? No pressure. You don't have to say anything if you don't want to. I am... Uh, I'm, I'm not unsympathetic to those things that you've, that you've talked about. But <clears throat> ultimately, I think we need to, we need to stop, <clears throat> we need to stop interacting, not just you and me, but overall, we need to stop interacting as, uh, as adversaries and find a way to make this work for everyone. And I think that requires looking at, looking at a lot more than just our, our own individual, uh, plots of land and uh, find out how we can, uh, we can fix the problems that we're looking at. I, I, it's just gonna 100% get, it's agree just with gonna, everything what you're saying. It's just going to get more expensive and it's just going to get harder for employers to employ people and for the now unemployed to, uh, to continue living. And overall, I think that's, uh, it, we, we can't keep going that way. I, I, amen. 100% agree with what you're saying. How? That is a great commentary for roasting marshmallows and strumming a guitar by a campfire. How? Tangible, palpable. What do we do? What are the solutions? Everyone wants equality. Everyone wants equity. Everyone wants a backyard and a picket fence and a home and a dog and 2.2 kids, a significant other, and some money for retirement. How? Obviously, I'm not going to have those answers okay. right now. Which, kumbaya is nice, but kumbaya is for the campfire. Eventually, we need some shoe leather and some legitimate answers where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. 
How, what is that rubber? You ask me that question now? I, that was my closing thought. Okay, your closing was, thoughts are let's roast some marshmallows, let's strum the guitar, and let's figure out a way financial uh, uh, equity, for, equality for everyone. Okay. Or Jobs we, for everyone. Or we can continue to, uh, to backbite and, uh, and, and be disdainful of each other. And, uh, and we're basically back right where you're talking about singing Kumbaya because neither of us is, uh, is coming up with answers. And I wasn't asking for answers. I just came up with answers. No, you didn't. Small business. You want to you figure out a way to survive if you're a small business? Figure out a way to do more with less. You're not going to raise your, 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 you're not gonna raise your asking price on the services that you're providing or the cost of goods you're selling anymore. You better figure out a way to do more with less. Small business, consider autonomous solutions. Small business, autonomous solutions, doing more with less. Well, those are solutions for survival. Uh, I mean, that's not... Uh there's survival and then there's uh, there's survival and I think uh, surviving by uh, surviving is surviving that's pretty sad I mean if it means whittling down your workforce and eventually firing everybody that uh, that built up your company uh, that's a pretty sad state of affairs and, and the alternative is closing today and at least you're giving more runway to team members for a bit longer Unless you want to discuss solutions. And this is the fundamental difference between a number one and a team member right here. What's that? What you're saying. What? That there the are number one at a small solutions. business every day. There's small business owners that are watching today's show that are like, every day I wake up and I'm trying to figure out a way to survive and keep this business open. You want to know how many people, small businesses in this community have that owners, that mentality? I'm waking up every day and just trying to keep my business open. Thousands. Thousands. All they want to do is to get to the end of the day. Okay. I, I, you're making statements, but I don't feel like you're, you're adding anything to the I, discussion. If you want, I just, I just gave you two solutions. If you no, want you your didn't. small business to survive... Autonomy. They're already doing. Do that. more with less. I don't see anyone doing small businesses doing digital digital uh, innovation. You, what small businesses in here are utilizing autonomy and, and innovation and robots and AI to run their business? Uh, I mean, I just uh, you put just, a you told us that that thing day. didn't do anything really. That they had a heavy front of the house staff yesterday. That they were overstaffed on the front of the house, and that that cat at the Korean barbecue joint wasn't really doing a whole lot. In fact, you put a meme on screen of the cat sleeping <laughs> during peak lunch service. I saw it moving around, but I wasn't watching it, and I had my back to it most of the time, so I don't know how much it was moving around. As I was leaving, I took a picture of it in its little sleep mode, so I honestly don't know. I don't think it's a big part of their, uh, of their, their service, but... Uh, I'm sure as, as they uh, move forward with the business, I mean, it was the soft opening the other day. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll utilize it more. All right. Oh, 145. We got a phone call. Um, the oldest restaurant in the city of Charlottesville is the Virginian. The Virginian restaurant. Dave Warwick, you are the winner. 
we will mail you a gift card and touch with you on direct message. I am literally past my 145 phone call. This is the I Love Seville show. Judah Wickhauer hit a home run. My name is Jerry Miller. We'll do the tweet of the day tomorrow. Thank you kindly for joining us. I'm literally making the call right now.